This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, overprohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking.、Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and、uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at luckylandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at luckylandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. UWA 517, do you want to report a UFO? Negative. We don't want to report. Aries 31, do you wish to report a UFO? Over. We want to report one of those either.、Uh, Aries 31, do you wish to file a report of any kind of it? I wouldn't know what kind of report to file, sir.、Uh, Aries 31,、uh, me neither. Zero seven one, Papa Golf, good. Captain, was there anybody above us that passed us like 30 seconds ago? Zero seven one, Papa Golf, negative. Okay. Stop this. It's a UFO. Yeah. It's Welcome to UFO Chronicles, a place where people share their experiences of the strange and unexplained. If you've had an encounter and would like to be on the show, you can email me at ufochronicles at gmail.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show, wherever in the world you are listening from. I hope you're all doing okay. 
We are back in Perth, Australia today to hear about Rose's personal experiences in relation to UFO encounters, abduction, missing time and the poltergeist activity that she still gets to this day. Rose up next. If you enjoy listening to the podcast and would like to help support my work, there is a couple of ways to do this. Either you can join Patreon and become a patron of the show for as little as $5 a month or you can donate via PayPal. And if you like, you can set up monthly reoccurring payments. All links to support the podcast are below in the show notes and on the website. Any help is extremely appreciated and it helps the show to continue running. Now, on with the show. and welcome to the podcast. Hi Nick, thank you for having me here today to share my UFO and paranormal experiences. You are more than welcome. Thank you for joining us today and you're calling from Perth, Australia. Yes I am. It is surely a beautiful country. Now Rose, you have several experiences to share with our listeners tonight. Would you like to start at the beginning please ma'am? Well actually I do have something that I want to share on my heart that's outside the experiences um, first, and then I will go into what's happened in my life um, as far as the paranormal. But it's been a long journey for me to even get to a place where I feel I can share all that has happened to me, which began from the age of three years old. But I really feel it's important for people to understand firstly why it's taken many decades to even want to share what's happened to me. I feel in my heart right now that this topic um, needs addressing as far more than the encounters. So I'll address this first before moving on to the paranormal and ET experiences. So more people like me can um, feel comfortable coming forward and hopefully find some peace and some healing and hope as I have. So Nick, before I came across your podcast, I came across it via your post that you put on the CE5 group. Um, I actually had deactivated most of my social media accounts for a few months as I wanted a, a break from the surveillance, you know, with the marketing and the direction it's going in, including the general negativity coming out from people's uh, hearts and minds. There were times I did this before when I felt it was interfering with my work life or personal life by, you know, keeping me indoors too much. Um, so, you know, instead of experiencing our beautiful planet and getting out to connect with people face-to-face, instead of just texting or emailing or chatting online, It was just by random I decided to look in my promotions folder, in my email, which I truthfully never do. So randomly I I clicked open on the promotions folder and there was a Facebook notification from you asking for people to come forward to share their paranormal and UFO encounters. The day you posted that happened to be the day I looked into the folder and it led to reactivating my Facebook and going into the group you posted it in to see if there was more to your message I was intrigued at that point. Synchronicity appeared to be at play, although some people don't believe this and think it's just a coincidence. But if you have many of these occurrences, it's hard to discredit that this is what's happening. As a result, it made me a mindful person who tends to be open to the possibilities of a whole interconnectedness between myself and the collective unconscious, which, you know, I believe is very real. 
So it got me thinking and it made me consider becoming a guest on your podcast over the following two weeks. I always knew in my heart that coming forward uh, at some point in my life, at some level, that by releasing these experiences would be beneficial for my spiritual progress and symbolic of the healing that's taken place already. So you can call it intuition or gut feeling or an inner voice, but either way, I knew it was important for me to speak out as an act of, um, I guess, personal freedom and stepping out into the light against all the darkness that's out there in the world. So I listened to one of your podcasts during that time and a sense of peace came over me one night during meditation for the first time about this decision. And then I emailed you two weeks after seeing your post in early June. You shared with me about putting things in chronological order and I went away to do this but then struggled when I tried. There was also poltergeist activity happening at the same time, which I shared with you. I went away and thought about why this seemed so hard for me. I meditated on it and asked my guardians and discovered for the first time that my behaviour very much mimicked ADD. Just not to confuse anyone, during meditation, I often communicate with spiritual beings through asking questions and waiting for a response. The response, when it comes back, I can only describe as a um, telepathic download, a profound knowingness. I don't hear voices in my head, although I have maybe twice in a semi-dream state, I, you know, like um, when you're about to fall asleep, um, but not in a waking state. That's never happened. I do get random pictures in my mind's eye during meditation and spontaneously. I see scenes and often try to make sense of what it is with my own intellect, um, as though I'm trying to decode a puzzle, which, to be totally honest, often comes up very short call me a slow learner and someone who needs to know things immediately. This aspect of my personality, I guess, became a stumbling block and uh, one I stubbornly continued with over the years. But I have dropped that all, you know, finally, once I recognised I needed to remain humble in this process. So I've recognised when I let things go, answers come to me when they're supposed to and it comes with a profound, all-encompassing knowingness. And when that happens, it's always correct. When it's me analysing the dreams and visions without that profound feeling, at best the hit rate is zero to like 70%. There's a lot I could share on this topic through my own discoveries, but it's not what I want to do tonight. But I do feel that part and parcel of everything that I've experienced, this has also been a development within me. And, you know, it's either something that I was born with or it's actually triggered from the paranormal experiences and I'm I'm quite open to what it actually is. So back to the difficulty with putting things in the chronological order, I find it much more palatable to flip from one early event to another, much later event, missing many events in between. This is much easier to mentally cope with than I do believe my childhood abduction experience at three years of age did some damage not only to my memory but my processing and it's taken a lifetime to make the connection. So, Nick, I'm going to say up front that there is just too much that's happened and um, I will share some things, but to share everything might terrify people and I don't want to do that. Um, I also need to demonstrate some self-love here to myself Um, and if it gets too intense, I will let you know and um, hope you understand that I may need to take a break from it. If I was to hear my story from an outsider's perspective, I would think the person was experiencing something along the lines of a very scary mystery suspense story only it's not a story, it's my truth, and I wouldn't wish it upon anyone. But the fact that I'm still here to speak out 
points to an amazing hope and discovery I've made recently, which has changed me from the inside out literally by some unfolding miraculous means beginning on Good Friday, just gone. It's hard to describe. It's like a, a calm peace, a deep love and a stability I've longed for my whole life and um, freedom in some areas of my life I felt very oppressed in. Not all. It would be amazing if that was the case. I'm like everyone else on this planet who has faults and behaviours or habits that need working on to get more freedom in my walk out of darkness and into the creator's light and love. So that's where I'm at right now. So after listening to a couple of encounters via your podcast on one of your platforms, I checked to see if you are on YouTube and saw your channel there and the message you put up. And I thought that what you came up against really identified how some organisations and those behind them want to silence the voice of survivors and keep them in a state of ongoing abuse. I'm glad you found a way forward from all of that. And um, it's a very caring, compassionate gesture to let people get all this off their chests without judgment and without the toxic comments that tend to go hand in hand with um, social media sites that have that feature. Uh, I shared that audio with you, a couple of psychic readings that I had in the past. One was with a woman who had what I would describe a very well-developed, advanced remote viewing capabilities to the point that she had been on um, popular TV shows as the medium uncovering murders for the police. Outside the TV series, she had um, and still does work for them, Only not only in my country but also abroad. She's written many books and is a giant in the field, at least in my country. Me being the person that I am, I had to uh, contact her and get her permission first, which I did, and then I was able to send it to you, Nick, and share it with you with all her details. In fact, during my reading, she mentioned she was also helping someone in New York about a murder case there. So anyway, this lady, she saw ETs all around me back in January 2021. It's on the audio I sent you, but I have the video recording at home. It was after her reading, especially when things unfolded with the ETs more dramatically. Um, but my personal opinion on this, I believe what she really saw was the ongoing presence of them in my life since that very first encounter, which was going to ramp up in 2021 to the present day. She also mentioned she saw me doing a podcast and described someone who fit your description from your physical features, your colouring, your voice, your height, the podcast on the paranormal and UFO and some other things, right down to the time frame of crossing paths with you. She said 18 months. Well, it's exactly 18 months and here I am. I did share that part with you in the email at the time just in case someone else popped up who fits that description. <laughs> that hasn't happened, so it's you, Nick. <laughs> you're in my reading. So, again, it's another synchronicity that I can't ignore. I really want to say I believe you're a light worker, Nick. Someone once said something lovely about light workers to me once before. Uh, it was something along the lines that light workers are a jewel in God's crown. So you're doing God's work, Nick. Your part in it, it's only going to get bigger. And that's my personal inner knowing. And four weeks back during meditation, I had a vision of a street sign. After remembering an event a year after my near-death experience, I also had a spontaneous memory during that meditation from the near-death experience that happened over 30 years back. Okay, so um, I have asked myself the question about whether it's because of my paranormal encounters that these abilities have manifested or whether it's just part of who I am and every person on the planet for the most part. People didn't believe me when I shared some of my visions and dreams. 
Uh, and, you know, I perceived that by their body language or facial expressions, the tone of voice. I sensed they thought I was just a kook with a fanciful imagination, another nice way of describing an outright liar, believing their own lies. So some friends just listened in politeness and then dismissed it and then over the years forgot I even told them. The people that didn't forget were some family members and a couple of good friends who had faith in what I said. After witnessing things, I said unfold at a later stage. I never thought to bother writing things down back then as even my own faith wavered time to time in relation to what I was perceiving. So mostly in the beginning, I shared things to those close to me, then basically forgot about it. Often they'd remind me years later when it unfolded, but by pure fluke, I mentioned three visions in an email, which I still have, to a friend six years or so after I shared it with her originally and a few others in 2005. While some may call it being led by guardian angels or God or tapping into one's higher self or the collective unconsciousness, whatever one's belief is regarding the original source, the first one took seven years to manifest, the second eight years, the third is unfolding right now, 17 years later. The message from my near-death experience is also manifesting right now, 32 years later. It's hard not to come to the conclusion something is guiding you when things like this occur. Anyway, Nick, the random thought to go seeking my friend's emails, which thankfully weren't deleted, all happened the week I contacted you. It was a nice little shock when I stumbled on it. Uh, the reason I decided to go search for my friend's email was because of this spontaneous memory that came forward I'd totally forgotten about. She shared a vision with me about her own life and a connection to Cincinnati, USA. She believed she saw herself there as a missionary. I couldn't remember if this actually manifested for her or not. And so when that memory came, I decided to uh, scroll back all my emails that I had shared with her over the many years to see whether she mentioned it had manifested. Um, she also was living not where I am. She was living in a different state. So, uh, and our um, our friendship, you know, sort of wasn't as, um, you know, it wasn't as ongoing as it was back then. You know, she kind of went off and did her own thing. Yeah, so I came across the email where I shared my three visions in 2011 and it brought an immense joy to my heart. And, yes, hers actually did manifest. She got to Cincinnati and was a missionary there for a period of time. Anyway, I've digressed a bit. So back to the question that I feel is important to share, just as much as the paranormal events everyone is here to listen to. And that question is why it's taken so long to open up and share on a public forum when I knew in my heart for many, many years it was important to do this someday, especially knowing that maybe my experiences could potentially help someone else out there, either in a small one or a big way. While it's the glaring problem we have in the world, and that's called fear, the kind of trauma I have endured for the biggest part of my life, along with people who have experienced similar in the way of abductions and traumatic paranormal activity, is having to face the fears within others who haven't had these experiences or believe it's something else without 100% concrete proof. Often these fears trigger responses within people that manifest very negatively. And as a result, it adds more trauma to the survivor of these encounters in the ways of shame and embarrassment, feelings of inadequacy and being seen as a liar and mentally unstable. No one wants to feel like that over and above the trauma of the abduction or the UFO and paranormal experiences. 
Every person on this planet, including survivors, want to be respected, treated with kindness and understood. For survivors, being cast as a crazy tin foil hat person is a hard pill to swallow, especially when you are a person who acts with integrity. One needs a tough skin and a good self-esteem to cope with the evil in the world. There is a self-protection or self-preservation that takes place that keeps people silent. Coming forward when one isn't ready to tackle the abuse from others becomes compounded over the years because of this current state of many people acting from a place of darkness and not love and light, and that's the honest truth. The results can be devastating and as devastating as people taking their own lives or others stalking out survivors on some crazy witch hunt to appease their own fears, protect large groups in society whose beliefs are not true but need coddling. As a result, the experiences of paranormal UFO and abductee survivors end up being the whipping boys and girls so many can live their long-held, unchallenged and often ignorant beliefs. So people who know me at home, Nick, my circle of friends and in my workplace know my character. They have seen me over many years. They've seen me work in professions that one needs to exercise empathy, compassion, confidentiality, honesty and trust. It was a result of my experiences that led me to wanting to help others. My family, my closest friends, even many work colleagues know my integrity. But what I've seen with people coming forward with their experiences has often been very negative. Survivors have been interrogated in interviews as though they are on trial. They have been bullied and mocked. And in a nutshell, let's be honest, they've been looked upon by many people as outright liars or crazy. For the big part of my life, seeing the experiences of people who were courageous enough to step out, including myself, whether it was to, you know, an acquaintance or the doctor or friends or, or relatives or just, you know, church members, um, you know, it has sometimes been met without empathy and compassion. People have experienced ridicule and their integrity intact. Instead, the survivor has been left um, feeling very isolated and significant insulted and shut down. So to add to their sometimes lifelong trauma, it is now compounded with being disrespected by many fearful and often very arrogant people at every turn, being viewed as a liar or mentally ill. This is enough to keep genuine people of the phenomena silent. So I apologise for stressing this more than once, but it's very important and I feel it's a very important topic that needs more discussion around So today, I just want to highlight before I share my experiences and from a space of love that unless you have walked my shoes and can actually tell me with absolute certainty, which would mean you have undeniable proof of what is actually happening to survivors of these types of phenomena because you've actually experienced it also and taken similar investigations as I have by going to the heart of the source, then by all means share your findings in an open and positive manner. But I think more importantly, people need to imagine themselves in the survivor's shoes, learn how to empathise and imagine how they themselves would feel if it happened to them and how they would feel being treated in such a disrespectful and abusive manner by large sections of society, including people in positions of authority, including people in caring and healing professions, and see if they still think it's okay to behave in such an abusive way towards traumatised human beings on our planet who didn't ask for the experience. Whilst there may be the odd person who is genuinely misguided or dishonest, 
I would say those people are likely suffering from their own trauma, potentially stemming from their own childhood or past. Either way, it's important to not place everyone in the same basket. Empathy is a skill everyone needs to cultivate. And this is my hope today for mankind, that God will lead us here, right now, to this lesson. Millions of people worldwide are experiencing something paranormal. So let's be honest here. Is everyone lying? Do we dismiss the multitudes of credible people who step out bravely to face the wall of evil behaviours in others? Because they truly believe it's important the truth be told and hence why they take up their sword to face the hungry lions. If anything, I see the survivors as um, unique. Something about them is evidently very important and hopefully will pave the way in time to discovering what it is to be a human and our scope of capabilities and our weaknesses that hold us back from our most highest potential. Yeah, so Nick, I saw some podcasts with people who experienced an encounter recently, uh, and I want to share this one. I'm not going to mention names, obviously, but this particular one that I'm thinking of was on YouTube, and they were interviewed by someone who had a science background. The podcaster appeared to be, um, he appeared to desperately want to find a discrepancy in this person's story. Uh, despite having access to many of the person's previous interviews that had that they had you know, undertaken over the decades, it was as though they wanted to be that one person, more intelligent than anyone ever before, who had interviewed this person, to be that one to completely derail this person's story. And from my inner knowing, it appeared it was coming from you know a need to be seen as credible and impress others in their field, including the respect of fans and for their ratings and income source. I just want to say, whilst the survivor handled the interview beautifully, it was evident that they were suffering lifelong trauma in the way of post-traumatic stress disorder. After the interview, the podcaster and their, sorry, online fans discussed the fact that they believed the survivor had post-traumatic stress disorder via the comments. But a glaring issue of ignorance by this podcaster was the fact of their own lack of awareness about the behaviour of trauma and memory. I can say from my personal experience, I have repressed memories that have suddenly manifested decades later, which if I had been interviewed like this person was, say as an example, 30 years back, and then shared what I know today, it would have been welcomed with absolute glee from this person as it would have verified the narrative they were hoping to uncover so that they could keep on living, you know, a cherished, misguided belief and as a result tarnish a true experience along with destroy a person's credibility by sharing information via social media that the survivor was an outright fraud and liar. Even if not outright in words but through the subliminal message conveyed to the collective groups, that share the same mindset and lack of understanding. So in a sense, if a survivor shares an event, say 20 years ago, mark my words, there's a probability that they're holding back newly released memories that have surfaced many years later on purpose as a protection mechanism, but more importantly, to not detract from the truth of the event that actually took place. This sadly is in a sense an act of omission but it would be due to their inner knowing that a witch hunt would occur if they were to reveal anything further that would derail their credibility and their experience due to the lack of knowledge some people have about traumatic memory, amnesia or suppression. 
the incorrect narrative many people have in which a credible story is one that never changes over the decades is absolutely not true. If people use their intelligence and look to other various forms of long-term trauma, you know, outside of UFO and the paranormal kind, it clearly proves the nature of trauma and how it can be repressed and suddenly just spark up many years later, often when healing is taking place. But unfortunately, this um, particular survivor had to experience uh, a lack of respect and empathy in front of millions of people. Podcaster demonstrated a suspicious, negative approach and what appeared as a well-thought-out and calculating interrogation style of questions from various angles to confuse and manipulate the survivor into saying something different from their previous interviews. I'm sure this survivor has experienced similar from other people over the many years besides this one particular person. It's not hard to come to the conclusion of the post-traumatic stress disorder that was discussed after the show by people's comments, but the lack of awareness as to how they were adding to it from apparent intelligent and highly educated people is quite sad. I can only imagine what decades of this kind of behaviour has done to this person's psyche. I was surprised that no one, not one person that left a comment on this podcaster's page was able to see what I saw. Truly remarkable blindness on a grand scale. That in itself is a topic that needs addressing. I understand the fear of people who do this, often unconsciously, and why. Having one's world view challenged is scary, I'll get it. So instead of coming from a space of respect and empathy, the fear and all its negative energy manifests, people become desensitised to the suffering of others. We see it very much today with um, the bombardment of violence and suffering in the world via social media and how this has impacted um, every human being. We all feel useless in addressing the violence and, and therefore something within us shuts down. Everyone is experiencing this right now and let's be honest, it's extremely negative and traumatic and we have to compartmentalise it in a way so that we can go about our lives. In relation to how this ties in with UFO and paranormal fears by many people, it's all about protecting oneself at all costs but also one's image and fitting into an acceptable belief within one's culture one's religion or various beliefs within other organisations that at best are still quite immature and don't have the complete picture, despite arrogantly projecting out to the world their ideas are 100% correct. So I'd like to share my experiences today because the last 18 months especially, I've had a series of events that took place that terrified a family member and I especially the one in the car with the two of us, which can only be described as a paranormal car crash with extremely loud, in fact, hands over the ears loud, a very startling experience, which I can only describe as glass shattering with beams of extreme uh, bright light encompassing the whole vehicle and then a residue of invisible wavy air like a gas or a heat coming off a pavement during an intensely hot summer's day. It gave us both an out-of-body experience for a split second. And in amongst the confusion and terror, I frantically looked in front, behind and to the sides of me to see if there was some impact to my vehicle or something else or someone else's vehicle, only to find that all the vehicles on the road and those driving them 
just were totally oblivious to anything going on. It was so surreal, you know, just to unpack all those emotions and what I went through um, with the passenger in the car with me. Yeah, I'm not doing its service. So I'm not doing the best service with what I've just described. I'm, I'm just trying to sort of put it in a smaller context. But, yeah, it, it was it was terrifying. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Introducing the High Strangeness Coffee Blend by Redacted Coffee Company, a medium roast of the Brazilian kind. This medium roast offers flavors of chocolate and vanilla combined with a distinct fruity taste and a unique sweet flora aroma. The experience of high strangeness doesn't end there, with a sweet butter aftertaste that doesn't fade as your coffee cools. This coffee regains its flavors all the way through your cup, ensuring it truly is good to the last drop. The veteran-funded, employee-owned, redacted coffee company and UFO Chronicles podcast have partnered together to bring you the best coffee on and off the planet. Get 20% off your first order now at redactedcoffee.com forward slash UFO. That's redactedcoffee.com forward slash UFO. Or follow the link below in this episode's description or click on the banner of my website. This podcast is fueled by coffee oozing high strangeness. So what are you waiting for? Wake up to the strange. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. But um, actually was more surreal is the fact that I forgot an event that occurred a few months prior this, which randomly came to my memory a couple of weeks after this event. Only this one was not in the car, it was in the house. And I was totally alone, Nick, with no witnesses. And it was the same explosive glass shattering sound as though a huge pane of glass fell from an airplane up high or a huge boulder was thrown through my child's bedroom window by some machine, except that's not where my thoughts went. I went with, without a shadow of a doubt that there was an intruder who had forced their way into my home and was just waiting to pounce. It was the most terrifying hour of my life, which included contacting one of my kids on their mobile as it was coming from their bedroom. And I truly thought that they were in there because... They never mentioned otherwise, but uh, I rang them on the phone. I had my phone with me. I rang instantly. I, I pretty much jumped out of it. I was in the sofa watching Netflix when it all occurred. And, um, I mean, I jumped out of my skin and, and the first thing I did was run into the kitchen and, and, and grab a knife, you know, and dial my child's phone number on my phone. When they answered their phone, I found out that they weren't home, but at the casino with their grandmother, a sense of relief came over me knowing both my kids weren't in the home. Okay, Nick, sorry, I've kind of jumped to the end where I should be starting at the beginning, but because I mentioned, actually I don't believe I, I did mention this, but one thing that comes up is um, when you have a lot of these experiences, it's not hard to, to jump to the thought that you're being tracked or that something is following you, you know. It's it's very easy to, to jump to that, you know, especially if you feel that there is a pattern. And so these two experiences, there was one common denominator, and that was me. Had the first encounter happened without the car crash incident with the family member, and I had shared this with people, most people would have thought I was having an hallucination and in need of a psychiatrist and medications. I thank God I chose to believe very early on in my life in a higher power first before embarking on that path decades ago because I did get to see firsthandedly how two lives in particular, people close to me, their lives were destroyed. One ended up committing suicide and the other one is pretty much a zombie on lifelong medication and um, on a disability pension and uh, and just no longer really communicates to people or, or leave the house. So I'm not saying that that happens to everybody because, in fact, many people have had much relief through the medical field and medications. And if you have, stick with it. If it gives you peace, 
but it wasn't the answer for me, nor is it the answer for everything. And it's important to also get that across. When I look back over more than four decades of phenomena, it's hard not to think about whether one is under that sort of watchful surveillance of ETs, even if it's for a moment and then, you know, you put it aside. I'm not going to say I know 100% for certain who or what is doing this or if this is even in, in relation to the, um, the shattering glass and the car event and the house event. I'm not going to say I know who or what is doing in relation to those particular episodes because I just don't know the answers right now at this minute and who's to say I ever will. So I'm going to start at the beginning now, Nick, uh, and this, this one is really hard for me because this is the abduction. Um, I was uh, So we're going back to uh, 1971, a very, very long time ago. I was three years old. Um, it was winter and my mother just had a newborn in my brother. He was only a couple months old. And we had some uh, visitors coming from, I believe, South Africa. Um, they were family friends and they were coming to spend three months in Perth, Australia. But they were arriving very late at night and my parents had uh, mentioned that they would pick them up and, you know, they were going to look after them basically. Um, unfortunately, it was very late at night and I was a difficult sleeper as a three-year-old and getting me down to sleep was a challenge to start with. So a decision was made between my mum and dad uh, that they would um, get the neighbour to come and look after me while they went off with um, my baby brother to the airport to pick up these family friends. Um, so that, that's what I was told. And um, so what happened? They did leave and I was in my bed. In my Back then, I mum still had me in a cot even though I was three. <laughs> but it was a very stormy night and it, it um, was a lot of rain and I was woken up to the sound of horses. Where we lived at the time was on a street uh, oh, look, I won't mention the name of the street right now because it's probably not too important. But where I lived, the houses or the, the lots of land on either side of us and behind were quite large plots of land and, and the council allowed people there to have a horse or two because there there was a, a horse track, raceway or whatever you call it, not nearby. So our plot backed onto an alley and so every year the horses you know would react with the uh the weather and so I was woken up to these horses uh making a, a, a huge racket but it wasn't just because of the weather um because when I woke up I uh, my bedroom window um my mum had very thin sort of um see-through fabric but she had drawn the curtains so they were in like a tie back so I could see out the window and there was three shadow beings I didn't look I didn't know what it was at that age um it was it just uh, it was scary um I saw the movement um and then the next thing I know they were in the room and they were surrounding my cot 
and I was screaming and then I, everything went blank. The next thing I remember was being in the middle of the street and there was a very bright, bright light, blinding light above me and it was pouring with rain and I was crying. Um, I don't know how I got there and um, a man tapped me on the shoulder. Uh, he was a lot, an older man. I don't know where he came from. I didn't see him. I was kind of, you know, as a three-year-old, caught up in um, the experience of fear and separation anxiety and abandonment and all these sort of things are probably going through my head back then. Uh, where's my parents, you know, what am I doing here, all that sort of stuff. And um, this man, I, I, I don't remember the dialogue. I really don't. But he he seemed there was just a, a lovely, peaceful thing about this person. It, it wasn't negative. It was a very loving sort of caring aspect to him that I picked up. Anyway, he took me to my grandparents' house, uh, which is a 15-minute walk by an adult from where I lived to where they lived. You know, as a three-year-old, it probably would have taken God knows how long, if at all, you know, like many, many, many years later, you know, I actually did look after children as a profession and um, and maybe I was led to that because of this experience. But uh, for the life of me, I can't imagine not one of those children that I looked after, you know, putting them at the front door and saying, go walk 15 minutes down the road, then turn or chuck a left and go to the top of that street and then turn a bit and that's your home. Go find it. I just, I can't, you know, like it's just, I don't know how it happened. But I remember walking with this man hand in hand. I was in a raincoat. I don't know how I got the raincoat. We walked, he walked to my grandparents' place. I don't know if I told him where it was. I don't, to be quite honest, I, I just don't know or how he even knew. But we got there when we knocked on the door. Well, when, well, actually, before we got there, halfway through the trip walking there, I actually did start crying. I remember this particular moment where I got quite distressed and tired and I, I just think I was overwhelmed being with this very foreign person and not knowing where my parents were and, you know, the fear of everything. And um, I think he kind of felt sorry for me and he picked me up and he carried me the, the rest of the way. So that's, you know, so when I did get there with him, um, oh, he was carrying me. So he knocked on my grandparents' door. My grandfather came to answer the door. Um, you know, it, it's now raining again, so I'm, I'm kind of screaming out because I heard my grandfather and I'm, I'm saying to him, you know, it's me, it's me. I'm telling him my name. And, you know, he recognised me. But then my grandmother, she came up and she was absolutely petrified. Um, now she suffers with extreme anxiety, quite fearful and paranoid that this particular person at the door was someone who had abducted me and was there to mug them and harm them. So... She became quite frantic and was telling my grandfather to not open the door. So I'm hearing all this as a three-year-old 
and a, you know, a big fight unfolds between the two of them. You know, he's trying to sort of push her away because she's blocking now the door, blocking him from opening the door um, because she was dead set that this person was going to, you know, break in and steal things and, and had a gun and whatever else was going on in her mind. Unfortunately, this went on for a good 15 minutes or so. It got to the point of ridiculous because the man that was with me, um, he was yelling at them to open the door. This is your granddaughter. You know, look what you're doing to her. Do you understand how this is impacting her? And because they were, you know, English was their second language, they weren't really comprehending what he was saying. Um, and, you know, my grandfather kept saying to my grandmother, it's, it's you know, it's your granddaughter. Don't you recognise her voice? And um, my grandmother, for some godly reason, just didn't seem to recognise my voice, which was really, really strange. Anyway, what happened next was quite aggressive. My grandfather, because my, my, my grandmother literally had was on his back and he had to throw her off his back, basically, and there was a loud thump on the floor, um, and he managed to unlock the door. And just as he unlocked the door, my parents and the people from the airport arrived in my dad's station wagon. Um, it was the most traumatic thing that one could ever go through for a three-year-old. So the thing is, for years after this, the narrative completely changed. Uh, what I said about the beings in my room, about the bright light was completely dismissed. I believe I was even drawing pictures. And instead, what the story that took place um, and that replaced that story from my parents, because, you know, they weren't there, they didn't see it, they, they were out, was the neighbour who was meant to be watching me Apparently at the time that um, or just moments before I woke up, she got up and went back to her house to close a window because of the rain. So that was one story that came out. That was um, one of my parents said that that's what was what happened. The other parent said something different and said, um, no, she, she was actually in the front lounge and uh, she was there the whole time. She had not left, you know. I really don't know how that could have happened. For years after this, my parents would uh, argue over what actually happened, whose version of the story was correct. And I don't know if one of them was being completely honest or not because I just don't know why the stories were different. But what it did do to me was um, it made me start to think that maybe there was no neighbour there at all and maybe they left me there alone that's you know as I was growing up that's what I started to think the fact is um I did encounter ETs and I believe I was abducted I have absolutely no memory of the occurrence between the house and the road my father for years he was he thought I was some prodigy child some you know very advanced three-year-old because the story they went around telling family, friends, was um, that I woke up in the middle of the night, didn't see them there, somehow bypassed the neighbour 
and went seeking for them at my grandparents' house. The back, apparently the back porch light was on and the front door was open and the back door was open. He felt that I had left through the back down this massive backyard that they had, very unkept backyard that was, you know, I I don't even know how how big it was, but it was a very big backyard. And uh, I went to the very far back of that backyard uh, where there's a gate that open up into the alleyway. And I went down the alleyway to a, at the end of the alley um, and all these houses along that alleyway, it led to an open um, park. Um, And then beyond the park was a kindergarten and then beyond the kindergarten was street. And it was at that street that I was found. He felt that it may have been somebody that lived along there or happened to be walking around there that found me. The intelligent three-year-old that I was struck up a conversation with this person and said, oh, you know, I live over here. I'll take you to where my parents' house is. And then I took him to the parents' house, which was, you know, a good five minutes or so walk away for an adult, not a three-year-old. But I guided him to my house and then he came in the house and then I convinced him that um, I want to go to my grandmother's house. So he put on my raincoat and then we went back out the front and took this journey to my grandparents' house uh, and I showed him all the way how to get there. Yeah, I, 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 I really don't believe that story, not anymore, but that was the story that was told. And I think what occurred after and over the years just gives a lot more weight to my version of what I saw and what happened to me. So by the time I was five years old, I started uh, suffering with extreme sleep paralysis. It was always pretty much the same thing initially. Uh, I would There would be an invisible presence in the room and then, you know, uh, the terror, the whole paralysis, the whole all of that sort of feeling. That ended up becoming sort of like an ongoing theme in my life. It just got worse and worse over the years. And then I had this recurring dream of this monster chasing me. But it was more along the lines of me hiding and them trying to find me. So I found myself having this constant dream of hiding behind cars and hiding behind sides of walls while this being, this monster thing was, you know, in the middle of the streets trying to seek me out. So that was a a constant thing that happened over the years. And it was always the same dream. Uh, This being or this monster, um, I would say, looked more of a reptilian nature in my dream. But back in those days, I didn't know that. Um, By the time I was seven years old, because of the constant sleep paralysis, I, that's when I kind of really got into music in a big way. You know, I, I was obsessed with this song called The Sparrow Song and that, you know, helped me sort of not think about the bad dreams that I was always having and the sleep paralysis. Uh, by the time I was nine, I saw an apparition out out um, a window in uh, what was then my brother's bedroom. It was the scariest looking thing I had ever seen. It was encompassed in an orange glow. It looked half human with a head of a bull. I was terrified. Uh, I, I was literally, I, it wasn't a sleep paralysis this time. It was um, because I actually was able to put the covers over my head 
in absolute terror. My grandparents uh, were over visiting my family and they were in the lounge room just literally minutes away and the whole fear of leaving that bed in pitch darkness because there was no lights on with that being there um, was terrifying. I mean, I managed to get out of the bed, eyes squeezed closed, <laughs> tight, and went and switched on the light and ran outside and, you know, shared that with my folks and they just said it was a bad dream. You know, you had a bad dream. Don't think about it. It's just a bad dream. Between 10 and 12, the paralysis starts to take form and it's no longer invisible. I start seeing these insect people and reptilian and um it, it just became so intense. They were prodding me. I was in the paralysis state and I was being prodded and prodded and prodded by like a sharp knife-like fingers. Um, and I was waking up with physical scratches and cuts. You know, my parents just couldn't understand it. They just, they could, it just didn't make sense what was going on. They were thinking, mum would say things like, oh, you know, you must be hitting yourself in the bed or you must be, Maybe, you know, you bumped yourself. And I'd, these were scratches. They're, they're often drawing blood, you know. And when that happened, there was always something that, that I saw that tied in with it. Like I said, oh, that would have, uh, I would wake up scratches all, all on my legs. So what happened, because this was happening on and off, my mum got into the habit of changing the bedrooms around. She thought maybe this might fix the problem. If we take her out of that room and put her in one of the other kids rooms and it became like musical chairs and bizarrely each room a different type of phenomena took place uh, one room was uh, which was my sister's room was where I had the most sleep paralysis encounters my brother's room was apparitions like the scary one that I'd mentioned but in my bedroom which was by the kitchen was where I saw aliens more the alien grey type tall greys um, and humanoid beings in my room walking through walls and out the window and they would every now and then they'd come up to me while I was frozen in my sleep and they would put their hand over my eyes like in recognition of can you see me? We can see you, are you seeing me? And they would do that and there would be this chilling breeze that would go past with as they walked past. It was a very, very cold, chilling breeze. They didn't seem to do anything with me at that point. Well, not that I had any memory of. It just seemed to be that constant presence around me in my room. When I was 13, kind of went quiet. I had a bit of a break. It just, you know, the horror of the constant uh, paralysis and the beings kind of stopped. When I was 14, I um, there was a, a, a lady friend of my mum's who um, had come to visit us and um, she was trying to convince my mum to go to a spiritualist church because, uh, you know, she was quite intrigued because the spiritualist church had um, ladies who were mediums and they would do readings. And she thought that it might be helpful to go there and get a reading and maybe find out what exactly is going on with me. So it was agreed that, okay, we'd go, and I went. And it was quite a fun experience, uh, the very first one that I went to because I did have uh, a reading and um, the lady that read for me said something that actually came out. 
she said that she saw, well, I had these shoes on that had these little butterflies on, butterfly. And uh, she said, those little, sh- those shoes of yours with the, the little bows, the butterflies, uh, remind me of a butterfly. And you're going to be someone who's going to fly off. And I see you on a big stage and I see you singing on a big stage. And you're going to be a girl that does a lot of traveling in your lifetime. So that was at 14. It actually did happen at 17. Uh, I actually went on and I was actually performing and singing when I was young. Uh, but at the age of 17, I, I went on a television show and from that I got a, a contract to work overseas in a, a very large-scale production and that went, you know, to some Asian countries and that pretty much set me on a path of um, travel and being passionate about travel. So that was a very interesting experience. But it was the second time that I went to the same spiritualist church in Subiaco was where I had the most bizarre experience. Uh, After the reading, flower reading, we were asked to form a circle. Uh, So we did that. I didn't know what was going on. I just thought what was going to happen was someone was going to be, you know, in the middle of the circle and just doing spot readings for people. That's what I was thinking was going to happen. But it wasn't. That wasn't what was going to happen. Instead, what happened was a seance. And uh, they brought out this little, what I would describe as like a little cabinet with a black curtain on it. They placed that, not in the middle of the room, but sort of a bit set back, but centred. And then they began singing songs to the piano and turned the lights off and they had a bit of a a very dim light in the background, dim red light. And um, the most incredible thing occurred. Uh, I saw with my own eyes a manifestation of a hand. I saw it form through what I could describe as a like a smoke, like a. It was coming out of this cabinet. I don't know where it was coming from. I'm, I'm assuming it was the lady that was in there um, at the time. I was just because I was beside myself trying to work out what it was that I was seeing, and it was floating in the air. And then it started to form into a hand, like a a proper hand. They had um, like a, what I would, well, they call it a trumpet. I didn't know what it was. It just looked like, a, you know, a cylinder. And they had some musical instruments on the floor, like a triangle and a tambourine and some maracas. And I didn't know what that was going to be about. But they had all this on the floor. And um, I was watching this thing manifest. And, and then a voice came I don't even know where the voice came from because back in those days um, we're talking about, oh, my gosh, you know, um, in the 80s. No, before, sorry. Yeah, early 80s. So this is early 80s. There was no CDs. Everything was cassette tape. So, you know, and um, this definitely was not a voice from a cassette tape with that sort of very faint hissing sound, you know, that uh, they had back in the day. Uh, This is very clear voice and it was um, of a man who was from the UK because he had a very English voice and very proper English voice. He His voice was projecting in, in the room um, and he was just chatting to the people there and um, engaging and he made a beeline towards me, uh, this hand. When I say he, uh, I'm, I'm just identifying with the voice and the hand. I didn't see 
a body. I didn't see a head. I didn't see feet. I just saw this hand floating through the air and it came towards me and it shook my hand and it was lifelike. It, it, uh, it felt like a human hand. It didn't feel like a fake hand or it had warmth to it, life to it. The fingers moved like my fingers and your fingers would move. Um, and he said, how do you do to me when he put his hand out? And then he did the most bizarre thing. He, he finger palmed me, which freaked me out. And then I pulled my hand back. Um, and I don't know if people know what that means, but back in the day, in my day, that was like a, you know, that was a very negative thing to do to somebody. It was, it was like uh, a sexual sort of, you know, suggestion. So I was 14 and uh, it, was, it was frightening. I watched this thing just disappear, like literally it evaporated in front of my eyes. So it went from a solid object to nothing. Um, and then the aftermath of that, you know, the, the whole seance was over and the lights went on and all the ladies in there all came about and started chatting with each other. And um, I mentioned to the, to the family friend that was with me what she saw um, and she, the, way, the way that she was sitting where she was angled, um, she didn't get such a good view as I did, but she just didn't want to believe, believe it at all, said, no, it, that, there must be some kind of trick to it. There must be maybe it's a fake hand, maybe there's fishing wire, maybe there's this, maybe there's that. There's all these 101 things that she thought it was and she just totally outright dismissed it and dismissed the fact that I truly believed that it was real. Are you intrigued by Paranormal Talk Radio? You'll love the new Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live. You'll find a great selection of talk shows covering UFOs, ghosts, strange phenomena, and much more. Download the Paranormal Radio app now and start listening to the very best in Paranormal Talk entertainment, including the network you're listening to right now. The Paranormal Radio app, free in Google Play and the iOS App Store. Um, I got to speak to a couple of the ladies there that were long-term sort of people that went that were part of that church, you know, and what they shared with me was that that this person was their control. I didn't know what that meant at the time um, and that he came through quite often when they did their seances. So it wasn't somebody foreign to them um, and they appeared to have a lot of trust with this uh, entity uh, and I, I just, and, and, and the lady friend, I mean, she heard this but she just thought, she just didn't want to register it. She didn't want to believe it. She just thought they were all making it up. I, I, I didn't know what to say. I, I, I didn't know how to tell them what that being, that entity, what it did to me. Um, so because they appeared to really trust it and seem to be some someone that they communicate with when they do their seances. So that was that, you know. I, I walked away from that and um, I didn't go back there again. Things begin to settle for me around the age of 16 and by the age of 17 I left for overseas on that contract um, 
singing in that show, everything was good. I, I didn't experience another thing for the whole time I was away and I, I don't even know how I had this huge break from all this stuff. It was like, you know, getting out of the country, getting away from it all. It just seemed to do something. I don't know. But um, unfortunately, that wasn't going to be forever and I did have to come back and my father actually contacted me um, while I was over there and still sort of, um, uh, this is now in Korea, when I was in Korea and they were having, mum and dad were having problems and uh, he wanted me back home and he wasn't coping. You know, I've, I've always been a family first person so I gave everything up and I came home to help my dad help my mum and give them the opportunity to take a holiday and go overseas for three months and I was left to run the house and that's when all the poltergeist stuff started to happen. So it was just surreal. It wasn't now it was no longer just me witnessing these things like with the sleep paralysis and stuff. Now, you know, there was my my siblings and friends and things that, that were all sort of part of it now. Humanoids started appearing around the house outside. The same ones that were in my bedroom were now physically outside and other people were seeing strange sounds and lights, lights switching on and off, things going missing and reappearing, slamming doors, cupboards and chairs moving across the room, uh, loud voices from nowhere, uh, footsteps. When my parents returned, the phenomena was getting very intense for me and other members in the family. It kind of became like a cancer and it spread out to my friends. Uh, as an example, one of my friends, I stayed the night over her house and uh, she absolutely knew nothing about my seance experience. And this thing hitchhiked onto her. The next day I left her house from staying that night um, and I went back home. That Later that day, she was in her room and she felt touching all over her body and uh, the breeze, the cold breeze and all that, that came with it first. Um, and then it began to get a little bit intense and it was touching her in private areas. She had goosebump feeling come over her. She yells out to her mother in the other room and her mother comes running up. She feels a hand around her neck choking her and literally from two metres this force, invisible force that she couldn't see, lifted her up off the floor and threw her up against the wall with a force literally flying through the air, hitting her head on impact on the wall. Her mother was shocked. She left her room. They contacted the priest who came over. I don't know if it was on the same day or the next day. And it was, uh, a priest came over and um, I was never invited to stay the night there again. Her mother blamed me. As I was the only person that came to her mind. This friend uh, went on to experience severe sleep paralysis, like myself. Mine were more violent and abusive in that sense, but hers became very sexual. So it was very habitual rape and sexual encounters over many decades, uh, which is, which has, you know, it, it, it still goes on today, but not nowhere near as bad as it was back then. Um, sadly for her, there's a lot of shame. Her partner thinks she's an absolute kook, which is soul-destroying for her. Uh, he, he doesn't believe any of it. I don't know personally how she can endure being in a relationship with somebody like that. I myself was divorced 22 years ago and remained a single parent and have found it difficult to find a decent, loving partner who understands 
and demonstrate sympathy and kindness. Uh, who doesn't add to this kind of trauma with their arrogant attitudes and beliefs and outright dismissal of what's being shared? What I've encountered instead is even sometimes deliberate provocation, you know, just to get a reaction and arise. You know, it's, it's, I've experienced really sort of uh, narcissistic type sort of behaviour from people. But, you know, the message I, I and other people like me who have this with, uh, within their relationships is, is uh, subliminally you, you are perceiving that they're perceiving that you're untrustworthy and crazy. So it begs the question, why do people want to be with you? They think that about you. So, you know, if, if I kind of see that in people now um, because it's quite toxic to anyone's mental health, I, um, I walk away. Um, but sadly for some of my married friends uh, who are encountering a lot of this hitchhiker effect, yeah, they, they kind of feel trapped in their scenarios and, and if they could financially, they'd probably escape if they had the means, financial means. I could almost guarantee they would. My folks, uh, they also got priests in to see if it would make a difference and it didn't. We started to hold prayer groups in the house. So this is now... 19. Now I get to experience another type of seance, um, only this time it's a group of uh, several charismatic Catholic women praying the Hail Mary with beads in a circle. The positive thing is they believed me and understood it to be evil as per their religious beliefs. And, you know, I was actually raised a Catholic, so I, um, I, I understood why they believed what they believed. So what happened was my mum would organise these prayer meetings and uh, they would get a group of, you know, half a dozen ladies would come over. We'd get in a circle and we'd start singing hymns and then go into prayer and it would become like a strong mantra, you know, with much passion and, and faith behind it in the hope that it would clear whatever is happening in the house. This one time there was a whoosh sound and an entity manifests in the middle of the group. It was radiating a strong heat and a light and it was intense. It was the first time I've experienced phenomena with heat. It's always been with chilling cold air. This uh, entity who they said and believed, and even I did at the time, we thought it was Jesus. Uh, it moves outside of the inner part of the circle and starts to walk around everybody. We all feel it and we're all aware. The ladies begin praying louder and louder and I look over into the kitchen and I see red blood writing on the kitchen wall and the words, this is hell. I look over to the group leader and catch her eye. She's looking at me and then I look at the kitchen wall and I just point towards the wall and she looks over and she sees it and then she looks at me and she mouths, this is hell. And I thought, oh, my God, thank God someone's seen this. Because, you know, with all that sleep paralysis stuff and, you know, things walking past the bedroom and being very much a one-man show, I was the only one seeing it for some part of it. It was, it's, it was just very nice to have confirmation that, you know, you're not alone. So she saw this. The other ladies, when we start talking, the other ladies look over, but it, it's now disappeared and no one else saw it except the two of us. The being who walked around us and in the circle, you know, suddenly vanishes and the light and the heat disappears. Um, at that point, we had derailed from the praying due to trying to find out if anyone else 
witnessed the writing of the kitchen wall, but no, they didn't, um, and everyone had experienced the entity which they said was Jesus in our midst. Unfortunately, this didn't fix the problem either. The shadow people were back in my room about a week later, and now there were sparks of light or energy walking around the house in a human form. A few people were witnessing this together at the same time, not just myself, and so more poltergeist stuff would start to occur. The curtains were flying up in the air and falling down. Kitchen cupboard doors would slam open and close. It was just so much stuff, Nick. It just it just seemed to never end. The fear of it all, you know, it was just terrifying for me at that time. It led, I believe, it led to the near-death experience that I had, which was not near-death experience. It was a near-death-like experience because I was not dead. I was very much in my bed asleep, but I really believe all those sleep paralysis and out-of-body experiences, which I'm not even going to go into sharing all of them. Some I was kind of led, like with the OBE, uh, like I I was following entities in the house. Others I was just frozen on the bed. I believe that was a precursor to the near-death-like experience Uh, because when it occurred, I went down, you know, the the very same sort of pattern that most people have with with it, which at the time I didn't even know what it was back in those days. It wasn't even on my radar. Uh, Nobody even discussed it back then. But the whole tunnel, the white light and getting to, well, for me what it was, I um, when I was flying through the tunnel, towards the light when I came through to the other side and there was stuff there was stuff in that tunnel there was movement it wasn't just me but when I got to the light I was like outside of a location what it was what I saw was a grid it was like a grid of colored lights like the rainbow a rainbow of color lights um, in this kind of electrified grid that was surrounding place that I was going to. So I was outside sort of floating just there. And then the next thing I know, something has drawn me within this rainbow grid of lights and I'm in this wide expanse. But what I do want to say is um, a year after this event, the being that that I was drawn to inside that expanse of white light, he actually manifested in real time. So, and, and this was completely mind-boggling for me because how that all happened was that very same lady that uh, that ran that charismatic Catholic group, she she had a prayer group at her home that she did, I can't remember if it was every two weeks or, or what it was, but it was regular. And um, for the first time, I didn't decide. My mother said, you know, I think it's best you, you go there and, you know, and have some more prayers because the more the better uh, because things weren't going away and they, you know, they just believed that the more prayer I had, eventually it would. And I really was reluctant to go. I, I was kind of, you know, priests, praying, churches, nothing worked, prayers. So I, I was at that, my mind was at that sort of stage of uh, just giving up. But, um, yeah, last minute I decided to go. Probably the best decision I made when they were doing hands-on healing on me. I was sitting in a chair and she had her hands on my shoulders. She was a very good remote viewer, I must say, in hindsight, this woman. She had her hands on her shoulders and was in prayer and uh, she started saying, oh, 
there's a man that's just walked in the room and she went on to describe the being from my near-death experience right down to the colour of his hair, the scars on his face, the outfit that he was wearing, his eyes, the look within his eyes that only I knew. I was just, and I had my eyes closed. She says, oh, he's, um, he's come to give you something. And she says, um, he's, he's kneeling down and he's handing you a flower. And he says, um, he's saying, hope. And then he just disappeared. You know, after that, I opened my eyes and because I just assumed that what she was saying, that she was seeing this man clairvoyantly, you know, but she actually saw him physically. So like my, the seance that I had, she saw an actual physical human being sort of standing in front of her that just appeared, became solid and then disappeared, which was quite startling for me. But at the same time, I it gave me such a sense of peace to know that for a whole year my mother was telling me that my near-death-like experience was just a dream because I, you know, was getting into these arguments with her, telling her that, Mum, it, it really felt real. It didn't feel like a dream. I felt like it felt more real than here. It just, I, I can't even be, the colours, everything, the whole thing about him handing me the flower in that realm that I was, where I was, the flowers there, because we he walked, we walked past like a botanical garden. Flowers were singing. They were musical and they were singing. And telepathically, our communication, it was something that I, I, I was just overjoyed at the, at the flowers. And to me, that was like the best experience that I had was watching the flowers sing. And, yeah, so it was really lovely that he brought a flower to remind me. And he said hope. So after that, there was another incident that I had with in relation to um, trying to remove entities out of the house, kind of gave up on the Catholic priests because that they absolutely did nothing, and even even the Hail Marys and all that sort of you know it didn't nothing seemed to work in in, in a long term way. I actually made contact with the Psychic Society in Perth. I just started pouring my heart out to them, telling them what I was going through, and uh, the lady that answered the phone said to me, "Look, oh, we're not really meant to you know give people's names over the phone, but you know." And she knew I was young. Um, and she said, uh, look, there is one person that is highly recommended. You know, he was an elderly gentleman who was um, renowned in, in those circles as a healer. So she gave me his number and I contacted him. Such a very caring, compassionate man. And uh, he decided to um, come out and, and help me. And luckily he wasn't, you know, he only lived about 20 minutes away, so it wasn't too bad. So we arranged it to happen when my mother was at work um, in her business because she would not have approved me going outside the church and contacting the psychic society, even though we had that, she allowed me to go to the, the seance at the spiritualist church. And I think that's potentially the reason why was because of what happened from there. So, yeah, he comes over and he came with his wife. She's they were at the front door. I went to answer the door and um, I just said, hi, how are you? And it was just surreal. This woman had a massive anxiety attack and just refused to come inside the house. And I don't know how much information that he had given her, whether she just uh, or whether it was just the fact that she was picking up on all the stuff that was going on in the house. Either way, she was adamant there was no way that she was going to enter the house. So she went and sat in the car 
he himself, he just kind of dismissed it and just said, look, my wife is quite very sensitive to feeling, um, whereas I don't have that gift. I don't feel things the way that she does. So he came inside. He was fine. He didn't feel anything initially. And we sat down in my mum's family room and um, he was sitting in the opposite sofa to me and I just he just said so tell me what's what's been happening you know what's been happening most recently and so I start sharing with him and then in broad daylight a manifestation occurred behind him of a again what appeared to be an apparition in full color but not full not the way that you know as in full body form like what I described before with the hand or with the, the group leader who saw the guide guarding from uh, my near-death experience. And, no, this was what I was seeing was an apparition that was more along the lines of a holographic apparition. And, I look, I think I just, the blood drained out of my face at that time. It was just because this was like the first time I saw something with somebody in colour in broad daylight and not just in the darkness of my room or in the darkness of anywhere. Um, so this was bright daylight, 11 o'clock in the morning. And uh, he saw the look on my face and he, he, he knew straight away that I was seeing something. He said to me, uh, are, you, are you witnessing anything right now? And I just, I was frozen. I couldn't, I couldn't shake my head. I couldn't go up and down. I was just fixated on looking at this man from a very prehistoric time. And he was standing there with his arms folded and he was bald. I don't know, I'd say he'd be in his 50s, but he he looked almost like a, a warrior of some sort, you know, like some sort of tribal person. I don't know. And I'm, I'm just, yeah, frozen to, to myself. And he turned around and he said to me, I have a fair idea. I know what you're looking at. And he begins to describe exactly what I'm looking at to what he's wearing, to what he looks like. And oh, I'm just like, wow. And he said to me, he goes, this is um, my guide. Uh, he comes with me and um, he seems to manifest and pop up every now and then. And three other clairvoyants have, have um, seen him and uh, have shared his history and, and what he looks like. And that's why I know what he looks like. And, again, it was like, oh, thank God. You know, I'm not crazy. It's actually a real thing. But I think the thing that got me the most was that uh, the eyes didn't blink. I don't know why I fixated on that, but there was no blinking of the eyes. And I think because of that, I, I thought many years later, you know, once I started really delving deep into all these experiences and, and potentially what they could be uh, besides um, demons, was um, it was a holographic type of projection. I don't know. I'm open to interpretation, but it's what it appeared to me at the time. Anyway, so he, um, this being, he, he just kind of disappeared from the feet up. That's all I can say. It was like um, a mist that just dissolved from the feet up very, very quickly too. It wasn't like the very slow process. It was quick. So it was like in a matter of seconds, it's like this just disappear. Anyway, so he decided to get off that chair and he went in the kitchen and got one of the kitchen chairs and, and brought it out into the family room so that he could sit close to me because he wanted to pray um, and he wanted to pray holding my hands. So that's what happened. We uh, we sat down 
and he had his hands, he asked me to, you know, put my palms facing up and I did and, and um, he put his palms facing down on top of my hands and he began to pray. Now, he wasn't Catholic. He was some kind of Christian. I'm not quite sure which kind, but um, he kind of did a lot of healing work because he was retired and that was sort of something that he did. And a lot of people would go to his house for prayer. So he begins to pray and the most remarkable thing happens just so unexpectedly. It was startling, actually. I felt this intense electricity come out of this man's palms and it shot like, it was like um, a ping pong ball, you know, just going ping, 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 straight through my whole body, went through every part, up to my head, into my arms, into my body with this heat, electrified heat with a sort of a buzzy feel to it. I can't even... I've never felt it again with anybody else except this one man. Um, but then again, I haven't really been out there finding people with this kind of gift. And I was, I was taken back. I just thought, wow, this is incredible. And I felt it shoot out of my feet. After that, he got up and he says, I'm going to go and pray around your bedroom and the areas that you go to. And he says, but I'm, I'm just going to focus on your bedroom. And he says, oh, I can't stay for too much longer because my wife's in the car. He says, but I'm, I'm just going to focus on your bedroom and I just want you to know that this should bring you relief, um, but you really need to um, try and think more positively and put more faith in God and, and try not think too much about what's happening. You know, get out, get out and about, do things and try and uh, take your mind off it. So he went off into my bedroom and um, I saw him in there because the door was open and he and I didn't know exactly what he was doing but he had his arm out and he put his arm here and his arm there and I thought, oh, okay. And, um, and that was that, you know. He did his little prayers in my room and uh, he left. That night I went to bed and my room was like a glow in the dark, hundreds of little crosses, not hundreds, maybe less than hundreds, but there was a lot of little crosses that were like glow in the dark. That's all I could, you know, like you, they were just everywhere. Oh I, oh, I had my eyes open and I was looking in my room and all these crosses were on the walls, was on on in the windows, it was everywhere. Nick, I cannot begin to tell you that I had a whole month after that experience. It took maybe a good week for it to start diminishing, that the power of this energy that he had put into my room and by about a month, it had disappeared. But that time, that four weeks was enough for me to take on board what he said and get out and, and just keep out of that room as much as possible and keep away from the house as much as possible. I started going out and doing all sorts of things as, as you do when you're in your 20s, you know, um, to keep your mind off this stuff. But it kind of led me on a path of, you know, I walked away from the church, the Catholic church. I went down uh, a path of um, new age path. I started looking into that and trying to get understand all this phenomena and trying to make sense of it all, the near-death experience, the beings. Uh, look, I wasn't even thinking they were real aliens at the time. I think back then they were just demonic demons, basically. So I didn't put a lot of my research into the UFOs or anything like that. I'm still open to the fact that, you know, it's it's a quite a um, evil sort of thing, you know, because 
beyond the um, near-death experience, a lot of those things were terrifying, scary, not positive at all. It definitely um, changes the way that you see the world. I, I actually, I left my home earlier this uh, couple of months ago, the house that I was living at, that I built. I built a lovely home for myself and my children. You know, it was by the beach and it was just a beautiful place. And I left that place because uh, it all started happening over there again. And um, I saw a, uh, so this is now, you know, this is all in the last 12 months. I saw a um, huge craft fly. This was in the middle of the weeknight. It was a Wednesday or a Thursday night at about 2, 3 in the morning. I couldn't sleep and I got up and I was out um, by the water. This thing came over the top of my roof low and it had, uh, it it was not bright lights at all. Whatever it did, it, it dimmed the lights. But it was a huge, huge craft and it came over the top of the roof, over my alfresco, and it just like blinked in and then blinked down. Like I didn't even really see it take off. It just was there and then gone. But it happened. And um, I had a friend that came over to visit me one night after that had happened. And uh, we were sitting outside in the alfresco. Um, both of us saw uh, a humanoid past the beach running. And uh, she actually saw it first before I did. We were like, oh, my God, is that real? Are we seeing what we're seeing? And uh, she's describing what she's seeing and I'm saying that's exactly what I'm seeing. And because we were so engrossed in watching this thing darting between the trees and whatever not, I didn't think to, I had my phone with me, I didn't think to pick it up and take a picture because we were just so caught up in in it all and then it came to me I thought shit pick up my phone so I went to pick up my phone and then she says oh my god did you just see that and I said what and she goes it just went through a portal and I missed it I didn't see it she saw it but her and I together we've actually seen this twice at that house and I saw the craft and now, this is all stuff that happened after that reading in 2021 by that uh, crime psychic uh, medium. So these were things that began to unfold more in the way of the UFOs and ETs, as she described. Um, so, yeah, I, I, in the end, I left the house, you know. So I came back uh, to this other property that um, my kids and I are at the moment It really made no difference, Nick, in the end because stuff started happening here as well. Telepath is a weekly digital newsletter filled with the latest paranormal news, trending topics, and fresh articles from some of the most popular critical thinkers in the community today. Stay informed on your favorite paranormal podcasts and live streaming talk shows. Interact with the telepath and upload your paranormal story or pics. It could be featured in an upcoming edition. Sign up right now for the free telepath newsletter at paranormal.radio. That's paranormal.radio. And this is the last bit that I shared with you. There's a lot of poltergeist activity happening here at the moment. The last one I shared with you was what happened with the safety pin. I was um, in my room 
and um, I had a, a box where I keep safety pins in and I usually keep it in a drawer in my bathroom. Anyway, so I got this little box out and I took a safety pin out. I had put the box away and I used this, you know, took the safety pin. I was going to use it to put and, and this uh, my skirt because I, I've actually been, I've actually um, been on a bit of a fitness thing and I've lost a bit of weight and so all my clothes are kind of baggy now. Um, and it was me putting that together to hold hold it in place. But because it was a little pin, um, a little gold pin, um, it wasn't quite big enough. So I took it off and I put it on the chair and with the intention to put it back in the box and get a bigger size safety pin. But I had some emails that had come through and my friends started chatting on Messenger and all this sort of stuff started happening and I was engrossed on my phone. I'm in my room and I'm, I'm reading what's being said and um, and then I go to look at on the sofa that I'm sitting on where I put the safety pin on and it's gone. And I'm thinking, okay, it's obviously fallen on the floor. So I look on the floor, I look everywhere, I can't find the thing. Um, I thought I might have slipped down the sides of the couch or, you know, underneath. I looked high and low, I couldn't find the safety pin. Now, I must say, if I, I got a backtrack, I'd actually had been home from a, um, a surgery. I had an operation and I'd only been home the day before. And um, my daughter, because I couldn't um, lift anything as part of, you know, part of having this procedure, I wasn't allowed to lift anything heavy for four weeks. So my daughter helped me make the bed each morning. And so that particular morning, she helped me make the bed and I had washed all the sheets and it was all new sheets, new fitted sheets, new doona, new doona cover and everything. Um, so she made the bed with me, mainly her doing it. But the fact is um, the reason why I'm saying this is so that you realise that when I decided to go to bed, I got up and I didn't worry about the safety pin anymore because I thought, well, it will just show up at some point. It's fallen somewhere and I don't know where. I went to the I went to bed and I switched my little side light on and I pulled back the doona cover and then I pulled back the top sheet and there was the safety pin on the fitted sheet exactly where I lie. And it literally was an hour, an hour from when I put the safety pin down on the chair to when I decided to go to bed. That's the kind of things that happens to me in this house and also to my kids. The very next day, same thing happened, except it wasn't the same pin. It was exactly the same thing that happened in the bed, but it was a little scrolled up roll. I didn't bring it in here, but it said something. It was like from a clothing store. It said Sandy Beach on it, and it had the picture of um, an eagle, you know, the, the logo, the American logo of the eagle. Um, and it had www.universegroup.com.au, so that's an actual clothing place, but I just thought it was bizarre. Um, and it said, this is authentic, genuine. And it said on the top, genuine, this is authentic, Sandy Beach, and it had that. I mean, I don't know if there's any symbolic meaning to any of that or if it was just something that was picked up, you know, paranormally and placed there, you know, like in a port. But... And then after that, that was it. Then that didn't happen again. So it was only the two two nights in a row. People walking up and down the stairs here. Oh my gosh. 
that's that happens nonstop. And we've got timber stairs, so you can hear it's a thump, 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 up and down. Um, and my kids are up one end of the house, and I'm up the end of the house where the staircase is. Smells. I had this smell of beer. I don't even drink beer. Nobody drinks beer. And the smell of beer, like what you'd expect from some, um, you know, if you go to a bar or a tavern and people spill beer on the floor and it's that sort of mouldy beer smell, that just manifested in my bedroom. And uh, I went and got my kids, I got my friend who lives down the road, got them all to come over and we're all like, where the hell, what, what's, where's this come from? What's this smell? And then that just just disappeared. Then it just manifested at a different location um, where the dining area is into the kitchen. It just in that just in that where the door opens up between the carpet and the tile, it manifested just there, this strong beer odor. And it was just lingered on for about 10 minutes and then it just disappeared. We've had some very random scents that uh, we've picked up in this house. The amount of entities that we've seen here between one of my children and myself is just surreal. I had a, um, in my other house, my girlfriend came over and we were sitting down having a, having a coffee. This tall grey just walked out. Uh, we were in the, the home theatre. I had the light on and there was a dim light in the, the hallway and where the kitchen area was. Um, it, was uh, it wasn't completely unlit, if you know what I mean. It wasn't black, pitch black or anything, it, it, even though it was we were, it was night time. But, yeah, no, the, there was a, a light on. And we were both sitting down watching a documentary together. This tall grey just walked past the hallway, just walked past. Both of us, we were just staring and we were just like, oh, my God. So that, these are the kind of things that have occurred to, to me and my friends, Nick. So I'm going to leave it at that for now. Um, yeah. That is wonderful, Rose. How do you feel? Uh, well, I don't know how I feel. I just I feel that there's a lot of stuff. I feel a sense of relief getting it off my chest. I do. I really do. That's the main thing. And, and things are still occurring to this day. Yeah, they are. They are still occurring. They're still occurring. I mean, today, no, not today, but um, 15th of June, I think, was when the, the safety pin thing was happening. But more recently, like about a week ago, yeah, the staircase and, you know, we all hear it. It's not just me hearing it. We're all hearing it because, you know, when I hear it, I notify people to see if they're going to be picking up what I'm picking up. That, that's pretty much what, where it's been. But, you know, because there has been such a prolific amount of things that have happened, as I mentioned to you before, you kind of become a bit desensitised to it a bit, you know. And I think it is It's part of It's a way to cope and it's a way to um, deal with to be able to deal living your day, day, day and day. I mean, look, I, I hold a really responsible job. Um, in fact, not long ago I got a, a promotion, you know, and, you know, it's, I'm quite senior in what I do. And somehow I can put this stuff completely in a compartment and be able to function and, you know, carry on life and, and not and uh, and just be aware that, yeah, it's there, it's happening, it's it, I mean, it hasn't killed me. It's like I said, it's like a, being in a suspense, a mystery suspense thriller novel. That's what it feels like. Uh, you know, it's just start and stop, start and stop. And it's intermittent and and it just keeps going. I don't know why it keeps going. I'm hoping that maybe 
sharing this with you today might make it stop. Who knows? Well, what I have found is, um, you know, when I mentioned to you about that clairvoyant when I was 14 and said that I was going to be doing a lot of travelling in my life, well, she, that was dead dead on. I, I have travelled everywhere and, you know, we do a lot of cruise ships. You know, I've been a girl that uh, was brought up on boats. I just, it's just so bizarre that when I get on a plane, when the kids and I get on a plane and or, or we get on a cruise ship or go away somewhere, it all kind of just it's just like a reprieve. We we have a break from it. So I don't know what that's all about. I mean, what I'm saying is I don't see the greys in the cabin of the cruise ship. I don't see it in the hotel room, you know, when I'm on holiday. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So when you're getting away from it all, it's um all quiet and stuff. Just see it it just seems to quieten down a bit. Or maybe I'm just not because I'm not as in tune to it at the time. I don't know. I really don't know. Like I said, uh, a lot of the things occurred with other people and um, other than the sleep paralysis, of course, and a couple of those apparitions when I was young. Um, But most of it has been with other family members. There is definitely some kind of link to that. As far as the dreams, even that's linked because my Kids, they both have these prophetic dreams as well. And I don't know if it's something that's been passed on DNA-wise, but um, even my friend, my my really good friend, so this is almost like a hitchhiker, even with these, you know, expressions of psychic abilities and things like that, it seems to be all of us. We've all got it. I mean, my friend has told me dreams that she's had that I've been in that have actually happened. And yet, and someone else would say, well, hang on, it's her dream. It really should be about her. But yet I've had the same thing. So through dreams, it's not always just about your subconscious. You Sometimes you are tapping into the subconscious minds or into the consciousness of other people. Um, so that's another sort of phenomena I, I find uh, that's quite fascinating that we all seem to have linked together. But yeah, but I think mine's a little bit more more evolved, um, maybe because I've been experiencing all this stuff a lot longer. These things are all connected. You know, we've not just the what people of the the living, but people that have passed. It is something which does happen to people. Very much so. Very much so. I mean, I can't even begin to tell you how many people. I mean, I've I've had people like that lady, the one that uh, saw the ETs all around me. Um, I've had people like her and that have uh, said to me, you know, you have a profound gift and you're not using it, you know. You, you, you're you just you're sort of squandering it. My sister, uh, she's she's a medium. She's a clairvoyant. That's, that's what she does as a profession. I, I didn't go down that path. But I do think that um, we've all got this within ourselves. Yeah, um, maybe I should. Maybe I should do that. I don't know. I think because what we did, my path was a bit more you know, traumatic with the abduction and everything, I'm kind of not that interested really, I think, deep down. Because it really, it, it's an, it opens up yourself to, to even more of the unknown. Yeah, but it also can help you to, to be more focused. You, you learn ways to protect yourself and, and have a lot more control over what's happening. And I do that. The way that I do it that works for me is through meditation which is what I think I mentioned earlier, uh, for me, I feel um, I, I have to get myself into the right frame of mind and then I make my connection to my guardians who 
is that um, gentleman that gave me that that flower. That's the person I talk to. That's the person who I consider my guardian. And so I feel comfortable making that connection with that um, person. And I do and I do get answers. Like I said, it's like an inner knowingness, um, a very all-encompassing feeling. And when I get that feeling, I get a sense of peace and I know that um, the answer has, is correct or the question's been answered. Um, but when I don't, I tend to just aside and not do much with it otherwise I will just rack my brain out trying to analyze and and try to make something out of something I'm not sure what's going on about because what I get pictures and then I've got to um, interpret the pictures and and then generally what I feel happens is I'll see something and there's like three or four messages in that one picture and um, I don't know I know it sounds very bizarre yeah, that is something which I, I do hear a lot is the, the communication via images. Yeah, but they are, they can they can actually, I mean, from what I saw, they can actually make a human body and then make it melt away. That's the thing that is surreal to me. And that's what I saw at that seance, even though it was just a hand, but it, it was to be many, many years later, you know, maybe what, 30s, I think, when I started really investigating it and I, and I came across this um, blog on paranormal and the guy that was doing that, he also did a lot of research on spiritism, I suppose, back in uh, 100 years ago. And there was a lot of full body materialisations that were even, they had, you know, physicists and scientists of all kinds and doctors and all that, that that would be partake in these seances and they'd take the pulse and, you know, they'd take samples of the hair and all this sort of bizarre because they were like real humans for those moments with blood, bones, warmth, a real living human. And then just like that, melt away, like the way that I described it with that sort of smoky yeah I think because I had that experience it's made me really question the connection between that and aliens and the whole them manifesting and then disappearing and the, the the whole fact that they can just be walking around like you and I and then just disappear I mean that this is this is why I have the subjects I do are on this show is because I, I've always believed they are connected how I, I don't know and why I don't know but there there is many connections in this uh, in, you know, the, in the whole field yeah yeah well you know i think there's you know a lot of people need to go back and read all that literature from back in the day you know because there's a lot of lot of evidence in relation to the paranormal but i think my biggest question was are they one and the same are they two separate things going on there as in like you know deceased relatives like some people believe when they see it as a person or is it um, an alien that has the ability to to mask, you know, shapeshift into any form? So that's that's the big question mark for me. It's another reason why I don't get dogmatic about beliefs because um, even though I've gone down the path of Christianity and, you know, spiritism and New Age and gone in there and done it hands-on and immersed myself in all these different um, practices, but I still have kept myself, you know, I, I consider myself a bit of a doubting Thomas, you know. I, I always seem to find a loophole <laughs> and it keeps me, you know, stopping 
myself from committing to one particular belief because I just feel that there's just not enough answers. No, and it's about finding what works for you. And I don't think that all the answers are in the Bible either, even though, you know, I was very much a Christian for a long time. But a lot of things in there that are very credible and we can relate to today um, as to what we're saying. But I think sometimes the language and that whole, you know, that ancient language, it just gets lost in the woodworks and, you know, devils and demons and angels and this and that, when really we could be all talking about the same thing, but they separate it and make it as if it's a separate thing altogether. So I tend to sit on the fence a little bit until we get more information and and, and who knows if that's ever really going to happen in the way that I would like. But as I said to you before, maybe if we have, if everybody's all believing this stuff, maybe that might be a scary moment. Rose, I really appreciate you for coming on the show and sharing that for our listeners. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Wonderful. Okay, you take care of yourself. I'm, I'm just glad I had the opportunity to come here today and, and share this stuff with you and get it off my chest. I feel like I've lost 10 kilos. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we could all do losing that 10 kilos. <laughs> it's it, Yeah, it's liberating, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it is. Okay, wonderful. Okay, you take care of yourself and uh, I'll talk soon. Thank you. Bye. Okay, okay. Yeah. take care, Rose. Thank you. See ya. That's all for this week. Keep updated and connected with the show on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And if you have an encounter that you'd like to share on the podcast, you can email me at ufochronicles at gmail.com or you can reach out to me via the contact page on my website at ufochroniclespodcast.com. A big thank you to Rose for sharing tonight and thank you all for listening. I will be back next week. Till then, stay safe and keep watching the skies. Goodbye.